Please pray with me. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, we are in the midst of a, a series of messages this fall on the uh, one another commands of the New Testament. We're exploring those aspects of our life together that you and I are to practice with God's help to the end that we can grow together in love and become the church that God longs for us to be. We began with the supreme command of Jesus to love one another as I have loved you. And we saw that love being displayed in the upper room. He took that towel and washed the disciples' feet. All of the other one another's in the New Testament are essentially subheadings of that one great commandment to love. So we've seen that if we are to love one another, then we need to encourage one another. We need to practice hospitality with one another. And this morning, we heed the command to bear with one another. Listen to the Apostle Paul as we read from his letter to the Ephesians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. The Greek word that the NIV translates bear with one another can also be translated to give slack to. Paul is asking you and me to cut some slack, giving people, give others some slack to give other people room to be themselves, accepting them as they are without coming down with them on, on them with a spirit of condemnation. Other English versions of the New Testament translates bear with one another this way. We are to show tolerance for each other. We are to make allowance for one another's faults. We are to put up with each other. I like the basic down-to-earth nature of this command. Because what is being required here is not that we have to conjure up some warm feelings of love, love towards those people that we have trouble liking. We're not being asked to engage in some heroic deed of self-sacrifice on their behalf. But we're to put up with them. We're to bear with them. People who are difficult to be with. Do you have people that are difficult in your life that you... They're just difficult. Well, that's normal. There is an underlying acknowledgement here that whenever people work together or live together, they will there will inevitably be annoyances, disagreements, problems. Two or more people with differing personalities, interests, and perspectives will collide, causing a certain amount of irritation and frustration and, yes, exasperation. And that's no great revelation. People bug you. Your spouse does things that drive you absolutely crazy. Your kids are making you tear your hair out. Your 
colleagues are making whatever hair you have left prematurely gray. It's true in the church. Each of us brings our own personal baggage right into this community. Our background, our personalities, our temperaments, our emotional hurts and needs, our skewed perspectives, our pet peeves, our sacred cows. And when all this gets mixed up together in the community here, it becomes a volatile mix. It's hard to maintain unity at times. Things can explode. And that shouldn't be a big surprise because, after all, the church is composed of imperfect, sinful, flawed human beings. It makes me think of uh, the comic strip Peanuts. Uh, There's one about Linus talking to, to Lucy. I think they're having a conversation what they want to be when they grow up. And, of course, Lucy wants to be a psychiatrist. And so in the first panel, she's saying to, to Linus, you, a doctor? Ha! That's a big laugh. You could never be a doctor. You know why? Because you don't love mankind. That's why, Linus. And Linus says, I love mankind. It's people I can't stand. Christian ministry would be wonderful if it wasn't for the people. It's so easy to love people in the abstract. But loving your annoying neighbor or your fellow church member who's always singing off-key? Now that's another matter. And so at a bare minimum, if we are to live together in Christian community and in unity, love requires that we bear with one another. And the Apostle Paul points to three qualities you and I need to cultivate if we are to obey the command. From Ephesians, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Humility, gentleness, and patience. Let's take a look at each of these one at a time. It's impossible for you and I to bear with one another if we, if we do not have a spirit of humility. If self is all we care about, if we're always putting ourselves first, if we're putting self always at the center of the universe, there is no way we'll want to put up with anybody, actually, for very long. Other people will always be infringing upon our rights. Other people will always be getting in our way. Humility. Now, humility as a virtue is odd because you cannot cultivate it directly because as soon as you think you are humble, you are not. Humility can only come as we take the spotlight off of ourselves and our needs and our wants, our wishes, and we focus on the needs and the interests of others. So I think of Paul's letter to the Philippians where he says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. 
Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humility is the opposite of selfish pride. Humility enables us to take a good, honest look at ourselves and see the very same faults and flaws in, in others, or in ourselves, as we point out to others. Be completely humble, says Paul. You're no better than anybody else. Indeed, take the spotlight off yourself and your needs and focus on others for a change. Bearing with one another definitely requires a spirit of humility on the part of all of us. But it also requires a spirit of gentleness. Ah, and then gentleness. Talk about a virtue that is underappreciated today in our culture. In a culture that is often harsh. You know how it is. It's doggy dog out there. Gentleness. Jesus said, blessed are the meek. That is, blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. And many of us, hearing those words from Jesus, would ask, really? The gentle will inherit the earth? But gentleness or meekness here does not mean what we think. It does not denote weakness or being a pansy or being a doormat for other people. But the root of the Greek word behind the English word gentleness, prous, is used in Greek of a war horse that has been domesticated and trained until it's completely under control. The person who has prous, gentle, gentleness, is the person who has every passion and every instinct under proper restraint. It's power under control. Gentleness is the opposite of self-assertion or rudeness or harshness. Such a person is not liable to fly off the handle when irritated or overreactive or rude to people who may rub us the wrong way. Such a person maintains a spirit of calmness even under stress, and it does not engage in shouting matches with other people. Gentleness. Now, it's not easy to stay calm when dealing and gentle with, dealing with a difficult person or in a stressful situation in which you find yourself, or you find that your personal beliefs, the things that you hold most dearly, are under attack. And yet such gentleness is so much more winsome than flying off the handle and getting all defensive, raising your voice. Preaching to myself, by the way, I always do. Which is why Peter writes to the persecuted church. These are people under stress. They're being attacked by the secular world. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Man, if we could just learn that, instead of getting all defensive, just be gentle. 
firm but gentle, respectful. Gentleness, as I say, is not always appreciated in our culture today. You certainly don't find much of it in politics, do you? Oh, heaven help us. The season is upon us. Gentleness? Don't see it much in the sports world or in a lot of the media where there is so much violence or in the streets of our cities. You don't see gentleness, tenderness. Speaking of sports, uh, one of the, the men in the, in the football world uh, that I admire is Tony Dungy. And uh, uh, Tony Dungy was a former coach of the Indianapolis Colts and uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, today he's a sports commentator and he's an author. And uh, Tony is a deeply devoted Christian. And he's truly tried to live out his faith in, uh, in the football world. Uh, and, you know, in spite of the fact that you see players kneeling in the end zone praying, the professional football world and any of the football world, really, it's not exactly religion-friendly. I mean, it is harsh. It is violent. The players are always trash-talking. They're cursing out each other. Man, if we could only listen to what they're saying in the line. Can you imagine? The sport is filled with it. It's violent. And then so you find that many of the coaches are kind of violent as you watch them deal with players on you know, the sidelines. But Tony has always been a different kind of a coach who brought actually a spirit of gentleness into his vocation. And he was known for his calm demeanor even under the stress of battle. His players admired his strength under control. And his players say that they never heard him curse. In fact, the players say that it diminished their need to curse and trash talk. And they also said that playing for, for Dungy, for Dungy um, made them better people. Now, much of what Dungy learned about dealing with people was learned from his father. And he cites in one of his books, he cites one specific incident that taught him how to cultivate the spirit of gentleness in relationship to others. A spirit that he has worked on in his life, both personally and professionally. And so he writes in one of his books this particular incident. He says, my dad was usually a quiet, thoughtful man, a scientist at heart and by training, Wilbur Dungy loved to be outside enjoying the scenery. Fishing allowed him time to contemplate, to listen, and to marvel at God's creation. My dad used fishing to teach his children to appreciate the everyday wonders of the world God created, the sandy shoreline and the dark pine forests and the shimmering water and the abundant wildlife. The lessons were always memorable, whether, he, whether we caught a lot of fish or not. Although we fished countless times together throughout our lives, one particular day stands out in my mind. It was a summer day in 1965. Summers in Michigan are beautiful, with comfortable temperatures and clear blue skies. I was nine years old, and my brother was five. My dad had taken us fishing at one of the many small lakes around Jackson. 
On that day, my dad was teaching my brother and me how to cast. We were both working on it, mostly in silence, until my dad's voice finally broke a period of stillness. Hey, Lyndon, don't move for a minute, please. I looked back and watched my dad move his hand toward his face. Calm and deliberate, he continued to speak. Now, Lyndon, always make sure that you know not only where your pole is when you're starting to cast. At this point, I realized my dad was working my brother's hook out of his own ear. But also make certain that you know where everyone else is around you. And Dungey says, I learned something about proper casting that day. But I also learned something about patience. Years later, when I got hooked myself in my hand, I realized how much it hurts. Remembering my dad's patience, patience that day, when Lyndon's hook was caught in his ear, I finally understood the importance of staying calm and communicating clearly. Man, what a lesson. Can you imagine if it was me? Hey, Lyndon, what are you doing? Don't, don't, don't move. How could you do that? Now I remember one personal, I feel convicted. Uh, and uh, there was one time when, uh, you know, I was, very proud of the rhododendrons in our backyard. And they were beautiful. They were blossoming just gorgeously and everything. And I caught my little five-year-old son, Michael, uh, taking the heads off. Uh, and he had gotten quite a ways down the row. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, to my shame, I just lost it. I mean, I grabbed that kid and I said, don't you ever do that again. And I have regretted that ever since. I mean, I, I, could have, I could have been so much more patient. And, uh, and what did I care about rhododendrons anyway? I mean, this is my son. I mean, he didn't know what he was doing. He didn't, I mean, maybe he was picking flowers for his mother. I don't know. But man, I still remember that. Gentleness, calmness, which opens up channels of communication. Man, that would go a long way in our personal relationships, wouldn't it? Bearing with one another is a lot easier when you respond that way, gently, firmly. You can be firm. Strength under control. But gentle. I mean, you don't know what people are dealing with in their lives, the people that are making life difficult for you. Maybe they have a very difficult life. And it's coming out in different ways, and it's impacting you. But you don't know. You, don't, you haven't been walking in their shoes and their moccasins. Who knows? They might be dealing with a serious illness or some incredible stress at home. You don't know. And yet it's so easy for us to fly off the handle at every irritation, some of us. It takes humility and gentleness to get along with others. And it does indeed take a great deal of patience. Listen again to Paul. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Paul, in his great love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, writes, love is patient. Well, if real love is dealing patiently with people, then how loving are we? Our expectations for other people can be so totally unrealistic. We hope and fully expect the other person to change and to change quickly in order to solve the problem. We look too often for a sudden personality transplant, as though that were possible. Someone wants to define patience as the ability to put up with people you'd like to put down. But it's so much more than that. It's allowing people to be themselves wherever they are on their journey of life, their spiritual journey, allowing them, giving them room to be themselves with all their disagreeable uh, faults and, and idiosyncrasies. And it means not expecting perfection of people. It's allowing people to grow at their own pace not forcing them to meet our own particular expectations according to our own timetable for them. The ability to let people be who they are is so crucial in any human relationship, it's crucial in a marriage. I mean, sometimes, you know, young couples will come into my office and I think, you know, they're kind of expecting that they're going to change the other person. Well, good luck. <laughs> I love what Ruth Graham said about her husband, Billy. She said, it's my job to love Billy. It's God's job to make him good. <laughs> it's our job to love people as they are. It's God's job to make them better. We aren't in the business of changing people. God is. It's God who transforms people's lives. God is working in that other person. God's in control. We aren't. Every person is a work in process. Paul writes, writes to the Philippians, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God is still at work in you and me until the last day. God isn't finished with us yet. And God is not finished with the difficult people in our lives. Patience. Bearing with others. All about giving people room to be who they are and giving them space to grow. To be in process. Now, perhaps it will be easier for you and for me to exercise patience with others when we remember how God has been patient with us. The Apostle Paul, in his letter to Timothy, reminds us that our God is a patient God. In fact, Paul thinks of himself as Exhibit A, an example of just how patient God can be. Because if you remember, Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul. And Saul was an especially zealous Pharisee who delighted in chasing after other Christians and throwing them in jail. He stood at, uh, at, uh, on the sidelines watching Stephen, the first Christian martyr, being stoned. To death, he wrote, I hunted down Christ's people, harming them in every way I could. And then Paul says in Timothy, But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who would believe on him 
and receive eternal life. Other translations refer here to God's perfect patience, his inexhaustible patience, his full patience. And God's patience with sinners is one of the major themes of the Bible. It's amazing how patient God was with the people of Israel, his own chosen people. I mean, God was amazingly merciful to to these folks. He saved them from the hand of Pharaoh. He led them through the Red Sea. He, He gave them food out in the wilderness. And yet time and time again, they rebelled against him. They didn't listen to him. They erected idols to worship that idol. Scripture says they were a stiff-necked people. And yet God was patient. God never gave up on them. The psalmist reminds us our God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The patience of God for sinners. It's unlimited. Our Lord never expected instant perfection from his disciples. He expected them to give their best. That's true, but he never forgot they were human. He accepted them where they were in their faith journey, and it wasn't surprising to him when they blundered and failed. He knew that they would change over time, and change they did, but he cut them some slack. He was patient even to the very end. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. The good news is that our Lord is just as patient with you and with me. He knows our rebellious ways. He knows our wrong attitudes and our petty, selfish desires. He knows only too well how often we ignore him and disobey him and run contrary to his purposes, and yet he refuses to give up on us. He bears with us in love. And if our Lord is that patient with you and with me, then surely we can try, with the Spirit's help, to be a little more patient with the people in our lives. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bear with one another in love. Amen. Let's pray. So, Lord, uh, we hear that love requires putting up with people. (laughs) And we confess that's not always easy, especially with people who seem to us to be especially difficult. But how we pray that we would indeed take the spotlight off of ourselves and realize that we don't know what's going on in people's lives. And our job is simply to love them and to to accept them and and, uh, and to pray for them that they might grow to know you and to love you and to obey you. For to obey you is to find perfect freedom. But Lord, how we pray that we get our own egos out of the way and that your spirit would do a mighty work in us. That we might truly display humility and gentleness and patience. Help us to love as you have loved us. 
Amen.